Well, a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine picked me up to go for lunch. Notice I mentioned good friend and lunch. Those things are linked together. And uh, what was interesting is he picked me up in his new company vehicle, a 2017 Ford Explorer Sport model. It's a sweet vehicle. And uh, for Wes Powers and other people like that who appreciate the different specifics about vehicles, this vehicle, listen to this, has fascia integrated dual exhaust tips, 20-inch machined aluminum wheels with painted pockets, and then for a heavy dose of sport, it's equipped with a 365 horsepower, 3.5 liter EcoBoost engine supported by sport-tuned suspension with an intelligent four-wheel drive terrain management system. Wow. That's right. This vehicle has so much capability and power, it's incredible. Now, I know some of you might think, wow, I didn't know Pastor Kelvin was so into vehicles and all the details about that. I thought he was into guns and bows and hunting. Well, you're right. I'm not. But you also can Google and memorize facts from Ford's sites. That's where I learned it. <laughs> An amazing vehicle. But you know what? It wasn't until we were returning back to the church after lunch that I got to actually experience the power that this vehicle possessed. And this friend of mine did something very intentional. When we came out of the parking lot and we started to head south on Wilson, eventually to get to Roslyn and head back to the church, he did something very intentional. He slowed right down almost to a stop in order to create some space ahead of us so that he could press into the accelerator. It was incredible. There was no delay. The power kicked in immediately, and I felt its effect as it pressed me back into my seat. It was a great ride to lunch that day and back. You see, today we're going to take a look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And too often, I'm afraid my experience, our experience with the person of the Holy Spirit is like my trip to Kelsey's that day. On our journey as followers of Jesus Christ, we spend a lot of time in what I would call spiritual cruise control. Oh, we're getting through each day. We might even be moving forward little by little. But as the days roll into weeks and as the weeks roll into months, there's a danger that if we're not careful, we can get trapped in a pace of life that we might not even realize at first is being totally powered by our own strength. You know what I'm talking about? Living life that way, I have found, is not sustainable. It often leaves me feeling discouraged, defeated, and afraid. That's Stark contrast to what Jesus said he offers in John 10.10 when he said that he came that people may have life and have it to the full. So why do so many of us struggle to experience that kind of life? That abundant life, the life of an overcomer. That lunch made me think, is it perhaps because we seldom intentionally slow down or even stop to create space to recognize the incredible person of the Holy Spirit who resides in each one of us. And as a result, we miss out on experiencing his power and its effect on our lives. To give proper attention to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in one sermon, trust me, is a very difficult task. 
Wherever you turn in the scriptures from the beginning to the end, there you'll find the Holy Spirit active and involved. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you see the Holy Spirit involved in creation. And then if you go right to the end of your Bible in Revelations chapter 22, verse 17, you will see the Holy Spirit involved in redemption. The scripture says, the spirit and the bride, the church, say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of water of life. So in the second verse of the Bible, and in the fifth last verse of the Bible, and everywhere in between, you will find the Spirit, and He is active, and He is involved. So for our purposes this morning, we will zero in on what Jesus taught His disciples in John 14 to 16 about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. The Holy Spirit as advertised by Jesus. In John chapter 13, you find the context where we find Jesus meeting with his disciples one last time. Scripture says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. You see, he was about to complete the mission that the Father had sent him to earth to do. And like he had done on several occasions, he's a good friend. He was sharing a meal with his friends. Can I put on my family ministries pastor hat for a second and encourage parents and homes and grandparents if you have your grandkids over please do not stop having meal times together do not stop having meal times together they are such an important time they're in the midst of a crazy week in the midst of a crazy day they are an opportunity to slow down to stop to be physically nourished, but at the same time, they can be a great opportunity for spiritual nourishment. And so it is in this space of having a meal together that Jesus was, began to speak words of comfort and words of encouragement to his disciples who were becoming noticeably troubled and anxious about what he was telling them regarding his upcoming betrayal and about his soon departure from them. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus himself described his disciples in that moment as being filled with grief because he was telling them these things. See, the disciples were just ordinary people like you and I. And I'm sure they had thoughts flooding their mind like, what now? What are we going to do? I can't believe what's happening. They're about to enter a new reality, the not yet reality of the kingdom of God that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, which is also our reality. And if we're honest, many of us maybe even this week have had circumstances or situations where we have been this week thinking, what am I going to do? How are we going to make it? How long is it before he comes to get us? And similar to the disciples, fear starts to settle in. Jesus understands our fears. And his words that day to his disciples regarding this Holy Spirit, this person of the Holy Spirit, were intended to encourage and to comfort them. And he intends for his words to do the same for us today. Take a look. At John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, he starts off by saying to these disciples, his close friends who are getting anxious, filled with grief, do not let your hearts be troubled. Some of you put your hand up this morning. I testify with you as well. I have needs unspoken before the Lord. Can I encourage you? Jesus' words to you this morning are, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if there were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And so, friends, in the meantime, in this time of waiting for the not yet kingdom to be completely fulfilled, he gives them an astounding promise, which is also for us. And that promise was to send the Holy Spirit. Five times between chapter 14 and 16, he repeats that promise to them. I agree with pastor and author J.D. Greer in an article I read this week called Six Ways to Experience the Holy Spirit. Pastor Greer says, I don't think many of us really take this promise seriously. So astounding was this promise that it was to their advantage, to their good, Jesus said, that I go away and return to heaven if it means that they will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you ask Christians whether they would rather have Jesus beside them or the Spirit inside them, which do you think most would answer or choose? Sadly, the response that I think most of us would expect to hear from people shows how far apart we are from grasping what Jesus was promising to his disciples that day and what he's offering to us today. Unless I go away, he said, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Praise God that Jesus left. Praise God that Jesus left. We celebrate his birth. We are told in scriptures to remember his death, his burial, and resurrection, which we did last Sunday. And we're heading into a season of that during Easter. But church, we cannot neglect to celebrate the significance of Christ returning to heaven, his ascension. And I trust this morning as we look into who the Holy Spirit is, as advertised by Jesus, and what he does, we will leave this morning excited to have the Spirit inside of us. So who is the Holy Spirit? We're going to identify four specific things that Jesus taught his disciples that day, advertising the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, and we're going to read through to verse 20. Jesus said to his friends, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. First, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, we learn from these verses, is a promised gift. The Holy Spirit is a promised gift made and given by the Father and the Son. And throughout this study this morning, I hope you will see, as I work this week, it's such a beautiful illustration of how the triune God works together, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all working together to fulfill the mission and plan of redeeming people. So the Holy Spirit is a promised gift made and given by the Father and the Son. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he might consider, I hope... No, it says he will, there's the promise, give you another advocate. 
But then if you go over to chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send. So in the first verse, he's saying who the Father will send. I'm going to ask him. Here he says, I will send to you. And then if you go over to chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, what does he say? I will send him to you. So a promised gift made and given by the Father and the Son. To who? Who is this gift for? Verse 15 tells us that. If you love me, keep my commands. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for people who have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, but note, evidence through one's obedience and loyalty to his commands. The promised gift is for people who have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, evidence through obedience and loyalty to Jesus' commands. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, when he said to his followers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? That's who the gift of the Holy Spirit is for. It's for those who do love the Lord, and the evidence of that is that they obey, they're loyal to his commands. Just as in John 3, 16, we learn that Jesus our Savior was a gift given from the Father to the world, so the Spirit of God is just that. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And we are able to personally know and experience him through believing in Jesus Christ. He is not earned or gained by our effort, but rather he is a gift directly from God because of his grace. By bringing us into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. So first, the Holy Spirit is a promised gift. Secondly, Jesus said he is another advocate another advocate. Jesus said another because Jesus himself is our first advocate who the Father sent and who is still our advocate. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So this is another advocate because Jesus was our first advocate. So here, our first advocate is going to the Father, asking him to send us another advocate. In the Greek, that means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. Someone who will come and continue the the work of Jesus Christ in the world during his disciples' lifetime, during our lifetime, and on beyond our lifetime until Jesus Christ returns. You see, Jesus' work was to be a witness to the truth about God and his kingdom. So the Holy Spirit's role is to continue to communicate the truth about the message and the person of Jesus Christ. Another advocate besides Jesus. R.C. Sproul, the theologian, I like what he had to say about the word advocate. This is how he put it. Technically, it meant a family attorney who is on a permanent retainer. Doesn't that sound good? That is the way it is in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are part of the family of God. And the family attorney is the Holy Spirit himself. He is always present to come alongside us and help us in our time of trouble. An advocate, someone given, a promised gift, given to those who love Jesus to come alongside his followers and to speak for them, to defend them, and to give them counsel. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Therefore, he is a person. 
We learned in the first weeks about the nature of God, that God is one in essence, but exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are equal yet distinct and absolutely united. And I hope you see that as we go through the passages this morning. So in verse 17, Jesus wants to begin to help his troubled disciples understand this promised gift, this advocate, is God. And so in verse 17, after he calls him the spirit of truth, Jesus says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why is that? Because the world is in rebellion against God. The world is spiritually dead, as we know from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But then he says to his disciples, but you, you know him. So here Jesus is introducing this promised gift that is going to come to them, a helper, an advocate, and yet he says, you know him. How do they know him? Well, he says, because he lives with you. Who lives with them? Jesus. Jesus is referring to himself, saying, to know me is to know the Spirit, because I and the Spirit are one, just as the Father and I are one. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 4? They sold some property, and then they retained some of the profit for themselves rather than distributing it. Listen carefully how Peter tells them what they have done related to the Holy Spirit being God. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So here we see Peter helping through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit is God, he is a person just like the Father and the Son. This is why six times in these passages, in these chapters, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as him or he. The Spirit is not meant to be viewed as a force or some mystical power that can't be known. Jesus corrected that bad theology right in here. He said, you know him. The difference between a person and a force is I can have a relationship with a person. I can't have a relationship with a force. Further in Scripture, we read, Listen to the descriptions. The Holy Spirit speaks. He prays. He testifies. He leads. He commands. He guides and appoints. He can be grieved, lied to, insulted, blasphemed. He has thoughts and desires. He makes decisions and has emotions. He's a person. He's fully God. Therefore, if he's fully God, he has all the attributes of God. He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient and so on. But here's the most exciting breakthrough that Jesus is now making as he's explaining to his disciples that the Holy Spirit is fully God. And he's a person. And he says, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is indicating that in the near future, his followers will experience a new intimacy with God and himself through the person of the Holy Spirit. Although the Holy Spirit has been with all who have believed throughout redemptive history, Jesus is giving them a heads up. Heads up. 
Something new is coming regarding how his followers are going to be able to experience God Almighty, his presence and his power in their lives personally. Jesus described that for us in John 7, 37 to 39. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow. It doesn't say will trickle. Will flow from where? From within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. That day as Jesus was explaining this to them, the disciples did not fully understand what he meant. They would have to wait another 40 days before they fully understood what he meant. But today we do understand what he meant. And so I challenge us as a church this morning, God has brought us here together by his grace. The very breath in my lungs is from God. And I believe he's brought us here this morning to say, slow down church. Stop for a moment and allow the magnitude of the truth that the very spirit of God Almighty, creator of the universe, sustainer of all things, sovereign over all, lives in you and lives in me. That is an incredible truth and an incredible reality. I echo the question the Apostle Paul asked the followers in the church in Corinth. Do we not know? Do we not comprehend? Do we not realize that our bodies are the very temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in us, given to us by God. You see, when we received by grace, the faith to believe in Jesus Christ and we're saved. Brothers and sisters, two things were given to us. And too often we focus on just one of them. We were given the gift of eternal life. Praise God for eternal life. But we were also given at salvation the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ, made alive in Christ. When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with a seal. God put the Holy Spirit inside your heart when you were saved by grace. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This verse became so dear to my heart. When I was in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at university, at Trinity Western University in BC, you see, I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home with godly parents. And my fear as I went off to university was, am I truly God's child? Am I really saved? Because I don't remember, as some people do, it was on this day that God saved me. I don't, I don't know that day. What I do know is in grade seven, I did go forward and wept at the altar and repented because I knew the way I was living my life was a lie. And I do remember that something happened to me in grade seven that night where I repented. Was that when I was saved? Possibly. And so I lived with this wrestling match going, am I really saved? I don't want to ask Jesus into my life and receive him every day. I want to know that I'm saved and it's done. And one day as I was sitting on the tractor cutting the grass at the university, God, by his grace, who loves his children, began to help me to think. And here's the thoughts that went through my mind as I wrestled. And some of you maybe have wrestled with this. And as I sat there, I thought, okay, I'm 20 years old. My parents aren't around. 
there's no curfew when I have to be back in the dorms. I'm really not accountable to anyone. So then why in the world am I not out like every other 25-year-old single male satisfying the cravings of my sinful nature? Why am I not able to go and do what everyone else in that city is doing that's my age? Because God's Spirit lives in me. His Spirit would not allow me to go and satisfy the desires of my sinful nature because His Spirit was convicting me. And then God led me to this verse, and I went, wait a minute. It's not about a date. It's about the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life that affirms I belong to God. And that day, this weight was taken off my shoulders, and I knew I am saved. I belong to God because the promised gift has been given to me, and by his grace, I am one who loves him, and evidence of that is that I'm obeying his commands and not going out and just doing whatever I want. That day, Romans 8, 16 came to real life in my life. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that, Calvin, you are God's child. Praise the Lord. I live with you, you live with him, and he will be in you. Oh, church, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift. Finally, he is the source of truth. Jesus said, the spirit of truth. He is the source of truth, and he communicates that truth. If you look at chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Here we have the revealed Word of God in our hands, correct? The Bible. Take, for instance, the Bible. The revealed truth of God, the Spirit had a vital role even in revealing God's Word to us so that we have it in our hands today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, listen, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What about the New Testament? The apostles were also guided into all truth, like we read in chapter 16, verse 13, by the Holy Spirit, who also, and listen to this beautiful relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also spoke to the apostles in the New Testament what he heard from the Father and the Son. And he declared to them the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. How? By constantly pointing us back to God's word. Jesus told them, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Spirit does not bring forth new revelations about Jesus. He simply gives correct application and meaning for what Jesus said and did in history. Just as Jesus' primary work was to reveal the Father, so now the Holy Spirit is revealing the person and message of Jesus to the world. And what better words to be reminded of on a daily basis than the words of Jesus, who identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. So apart from the Holy Spirit, people cannot know God's truth. J.D. Greer says the Spirit's primary vehicle for moving and speaking in our lives is the Scripture. 
This is the primary vehicle for moving and speaking in our lives for the Holy Spirit. So if we're not in the Word, yeah, no wonder we're not hearing from Him. The Spirit works in us to shape us into being the kind of people God wants us to be because then we will do the things God wants us to do. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is a promised gift. He is another advocate. He is fully God, therefore a person, not a force. And finally, He is the source of all truth. So what does He do? Well, let's answer that. Jesus gives four things. First of all, we see in verse 16, He helps us. I'm going to send an advocate to help you, someone to encourage you, someone to exhort you. How many of you love people in your life who encourage and exhort you? I sure do. Praise God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he encourages and exhorts us. And specifically in this context, to complete the calling and the mission that he has given to us. You see, he was encouraging his disciples that day. And he was saying, I'm going to send someone who's going to help you. Help you to continue the mission that I have given you in a hostile world. That was the same reality for Jesus. Is that not the same reality for us today in 2017? He will equip us and help us to complete the mission to do what? To be witnesses. To testify to the truth about God and his kingdom. Look at chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. He is emphatic that his disciples must also testify. The disciples were eyewitnesses, uniquely chosen and taught by Christ from the beginning, and were to give testimony about Christ. So if they're so fearful and anxious, how are they going to give testimony to Christ in such a hostile world? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. A helper. A helper will help you to be a witness, to be a testimony, to testify. And this helper, by the way, will be with you, he says, forever. Do you recall Jesus' words at the end of the Great Commission? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. How? He's about to leave. To the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I am with you always. Now does it make sense when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? It's because we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Things are going to get a little exciting here. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's been risen from the dead by the Spirit. And he is now appearing to his disciples. And in chapter 1, verse 4, the Scripture says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Slow down. Stop. Wait, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is so gracious. Please be gracious with people when they ask dumb questions at the wrong time. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Gracious Savior, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Here's what I want you to hear, guys. 
but you will receive power, help, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wow. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were obedient. They did what he told them. They waited. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Oh, man, imagine what that would be like in your home this afternoon. That would be awesome. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language. Move on down to verse 11. What were they hearing in their own language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? When someone asks a question, what should we be ready and available and excited to do? Answer it. So that's what Peter did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter then stands up and he addresses the crowd. And in verses 14 to 36, Peter declares through the power of the Holy Spirit the truth regarding God, His Son, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? How did the Holy Spirit empower Peter to do that? He reminded him of a prophecy back in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. Peter didn't reveal anything new about the Holy Spirit that hadn't already been revealed. He just helped them to understand what the application and the meaning of it is. And so Peter witnessed and testified to Jesus and the work of Jesus and what this is all about through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And those who accepted his message, in verse 41 it says, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000! Brothers and sisters, forgive us, Lord, for asking for only 944 seats. They simply experienced the Holy Spirit in their life. It empowered them to do what they were supposed to do, which he said, you also must testify. And as they obediently stepped out in the power of the Holy Spirit, that day God, by his grace, saved 3,000 people. What would happen if God actually got a hold of our hearts and really helped us to comprehend? Do we know, do we understand that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? We're empowered to testify. And if we actually began to testify, what would happen? We're not going to have enough room in this building or the one across the street. This is the power we have been given to testify. So why? Do I shy away from telling my neighbors about Jesus? 
I got to open my mouth. I got to speak. I got to believe what the Word says. I commend former summer and winter Olympic athlete Clara Hughes for the work she has done with Bell Canada and the Let's Talk campaign to begin a movement of conversations regarding the issue of mental illness in Canada. For Clara, success at the summer and winter games meant more than earning medals. It meant having a voice and using the opportunity to reach out and help others. And if you've ever seen her interviewed, when she uses that voice, it's clear and it's loud. I suggest this morning that Jesus wants us to understand that our salvation is more than just the beautiful, wonderful gift of eternal life, which I am so grateful for. But it's more than that. He has saved us. He has redeemed us for more than that. It's even more than just an opportunity, as it is for Clara. It is our responsibility. It's not an opportunity. It's a responsibility of disciples who love him, who are loyal to his commands to reach out and spiritually help others. Why does a family go to Cape Town and leave their family in Canada? To be faithful to the mission and the calling that they've been given, and they rely on the Holy Spirit to empower them as they go and give witness to the person of Jesus Christ all over the world. We must, we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be initiating a movement of conversations within our homes, within our neighborhoods, and within the city of Oshawa. Because Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That's why I'm so passionate about making sure that we get this project accomplished, because it's not about seats. It's about providing an opportunity for someone to sit and hear the message of Jesus Christ and have their life changed forever. He helps us to witness Secondly, he gives new life. We saw that in the text we just read. The chief role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is principally to apply the saving work of Christ to people's lives personally. The Father planned salvation. Jesus Christ accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to us. We are made alive in Christ, Ephesians says. How? By the grace of God, through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, listen, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can have new life unless they are born of water, physical birth, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. All of us who are now part of God's family were once dead in our transgressions, and we would have remained in that state had the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, not come and applied the work of Christ's salvation into our lives. See, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated. We are made anew spiritually. He indwells us and gives spiritual life to what was formerly dead. But he not only gives new life, he transforms lives. Praise the Lord. 
Romans 15, 16, I love how Paul explains his motive behind his mission to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. Listen to what he says. So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, it says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in truth. The Holy Spirit not only gives new life, He transforms lives. Sanctification, the continuous, progressive, ongoing conforming of our lives into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, accomplished by the redemptive work of Christ and continued on by the work of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. It begins at regeneration and it will be completed when Christ returns. And until that time, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into his image with ever-increasing glory, which come from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life, to live a life that is set apart, to live a life that represents the kingdom of God and his values, evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. One of those is self-control. And last week I had the privilege of seeing Dennis in the lobby with Jack, and Dennis had his armor on Jack and was so grateful for what God is doing in that family. And Dennis came out and he says, Calvin, I'm so proud of my son. He said yesterday he was in a situation where he was with some of his buddies and they were about to be involved in an activity that Jack knew wasn't right. And so Jack removed himself from that situation. I'm so proud of my son. And I was so happy for Dennis because I'm a father and there's nothing that brings me more joy than when my kids listen and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I shared that with Dennis. I said, Dennis, I'm so glad you're proud of him, but let's be honest here. Let's give thanks and praise to the Holy Spirit who lives in your, son, in your son's life, who is able to recognize that is contrary to God's ways, but not only recognize that, but then have the power to walk away from his circle of friends and go, i got to remove myself from this situation. All praise and all glory goes to the work of the Holy Spirit in Jack's life to be able to do that. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Christ, our first advocate, came to strengthen us by his atoning death. Now the empowerment to live the life that Christ has called us to live comes to us by the Holy Spirit. When we started, we ran into Jesus and his disciples. They were filled with grief about the things Jesus was telling them. And then we go to the book of Acts, and if you read the rest of the Gospels... They became bold witnesses. After receiving the gift of the promise, the promised gift, the person of the Holy Spirit, the apostles went far and wide as herald, as witnesses to the truth about the person and the message of Jesus Christ. Oh, they suffered greatly for their faith. And in most cases, met violent deaths on account of their bold witness. How? How did these group of men go from a state of being filled with grief to bold witnesses who spread out throughout the world? Supernatural power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit who filled them, it says, in Acts chapter 1. He transforms lives. And finally, he equips lives for service. You see, every person in the body of Christ has been given some spiritual gift or gifts. Whether you like it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has equipped you with gifts or multiple gifts. 
Those gifts are evidence of the presence and the power of Christ, of God living in you through his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that all the gifts are intended for the common good, to strengthen, to build up the body of believers. And then the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. Then he transforms us and he equips us for what purpose? For your good. What has he gifted you for? For my good. So that we might serve one another. And as we serve one another, we will ultimately serve him. And Jesus said, if my name is lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Holy Spirit has equipped us for lives of service. When we serve, when you go back this week and you go to your kids' club's room, or when you served lunch at the retirees, or when you serve up at the campus, or when you serve over across the road in young adult ministries, every time you serve, you are testifying, you're a witness to the presence and the power of God's Spirit living in you. So if you are not serving, you're missing the opportunity to testify about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So who is he? The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. A promised gift, another advocate, fully God, therefore a person. The source of all truth. Why? Why was it so important that Jesus left us? Because he knew that we needed help to be witnesses. He gives new life, he transforms lives, and he equips lives for service. You see, God created the world through the power of the Spirit. Jesus, our Messiah, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, grew up and performed miracles, endured the cross, and rose from the dead in the power of the Spirit. And through that same power, God moves in the lives of people today to know him, to have their lives indwelled with him, and to be able to be equipped to serve him and others. So in light of all this, is it any wonder why Jesus said to his disciples that day, it is for your good that I am going away. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, what a precious gift your word is to us. And what a precious gift the person of the Holy Spirit is to us, who helps us to understand what we are reading. Thank you for helping me this week as I prepared, Holy Spirit, to guide me into the truth. I pray that I've represented you well. I thank you for your word. God, thank you for sending the Son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished what needed to be done for us to be saved. And Holy Spirit, thank you for applying that amazing work of Jesus Christ to our lives. I pray that you would forgive us for any times that we have misrepresented who you are, Holy Spirit, how we have identified you. Forgive us for neglecting you. You are so important that Jesus said he needed to leave so that we could receive you. We recognize who you are this morning. Thank you for the power that you bring to our lives to fulfill the purpose you've created us for, which is to glorify God and to reflect his character. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe what you just sung? Are you excited about that fact? 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. We need to be excited about that. I think they're excited in Acts. People wondered if they were drunk. They didn't hide it. And you know what's so neat? I want to go back to that good friend of mine who took me for lunch that day. You know what? He is just more excited about his Savior Jesus Christ and fulfilling his calling to disciple and go make disciples. And I know that because my teenage son is in his discipling community. And God is using that man to teach my son to love Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I knew he was excited about his new company vehicle that day. I didn't have to ask what's up. But he says, hey, can't wait to take you out for lunch today and show you what I got. And then when I came out of my office, he, he wasn't waiting outside for me. He was in the lobby. And he was just like so excited. And he said, open the door and let's go out. Why was he so excited? Because this man had spent two hours when he got that gift that was given to him from his company. And he read the manual. For two hours, he knew every single detail and what that vehicle possessed and what was available for him at his use. And he was excited, not just for himself, for what he knew, but to share that experience with another person. My challenge to us today is we need to have that same excitement. That the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God lives in me and gives me power to be a witness for him. We need to be excited about that. And we need to want to share the amazing power we have through the Holy Spirit with others. So my challenge to you is do other people know that you believe what you just sung and that you're excited about it. Oh, may God help us. May God help us to realize the amazing promised gift we have been given. Praise God for the Father, the Son, and let us never neglect the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't have that power in my life. I do feel defeated. I am anxious. Fear is settling in on me, Pastor Calvin. Come and pray. Let's pray together. Let's pray that all of us together will learn to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit and shut the spiritual cruise control off. Rely on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ given to us by the Father. All grace. May God help us to represent our God well this week. In Jesus' name, amen.